So continuing on with our sermon series, tackling difficult questions for Christians, today we pose, is anger bad for Christians? When Alec first shared our designated questions with the rest of the preachers on staff, I was initially relieved. I felt luckier than some of my other colleagues who had to tackle topics such as forgiveness, or punishment. Honestly, with Alec preaching elsewhere this morning, I was tempted to keep this sermon brief and simply say, no, anger is not bad for Christians and meet everyone for brunch later in, you know, maybe the next 10 minutes or so. The short answer is no. Anger is not bad. Anger is not a sin. But anger is complicated. Anger is complex, and for better or for worse, anger does connect us. Understanding the complexities of anger goes beyond the notion of strong feelings of annoyance or displeasure. And that's what Paul is here to tell us in Ephesians 4. So let us now listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church Ephesians 4, 26 through 5, verse 2. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up. And there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. So growing up, there was one way in particular in my house to know when one of the children made our parents angry. I would hear footsteps getting louder and louder as they approached the bottom of the staircase, and there would kind of be this insufferable pause, a deep inhale, and without hesitation, my mother or father would project, Kelly Marie Connolly, the classic middle name thrown in. That's how we knew. I have been disobedient. I have done something wrong. I imagine many of us have memories like these, a time where our wrongdoing evoked a strong feeling of annoyance or displeasure for another person. 
I mean, that's anger in its most simple form, a strong feeling that can lead to a sense of provoking another. But understanding the complexities of anger goes beyond the notion of strong feelings of annoyance or displeasure. Understanding the complexities of anger requires patience, empathy, honesty. So why this question? Why is it important to talk about anger in the church? While we do strive to be a caring and compassionate congregation, practicing the ways of Jesus in all that we do, we also have to preach honesty. The church, you know, we are called to be a dwelling place for honesty. And honestly, we don't talk about anger enough. It's challenging to imagine how to make room for anger at the table while also preaching love and kindness. Though we live in a society that often negates anger in the public eye, we practice a faith that is no stranger to anger. In an article featured in the Presbyterian Outlook this week, I read, there is plenty of anger to go around in the Bible. This is quite true. I mean, on several occasions, we read about encounters where individuals, tribes, armies, families, Jesus, God, and the Apostle Paul became angry. Anger is biblical, and I dare to say that it's the leading emotion carrying the Old Testament. In Ecclesiastes 7, do not be quick to anger, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. And then in chapter 10, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for calmness will undo great offenses. We read about God's anger throughout Scripture. In Psalm 86, the passage we just heard from Jay, God is slow to anger. Or in Amos 5, I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. There's plenty of anger to go around in the Bible. Anger happens to all of us, even God. In today's text, we meet Paul as he begins a series of moral exhortations for the church in Ephesus. This passage, the so-called do's and don'ts, build up, build upon, and highlight the contrasting interrelationship of how one's reality determines and is reflected in one's conduct. Paul begins with a do, be angry. It's kind of weird to start off a letter that way, right? Even though some anger is justified, we should not read verse 26 as an excuse to feel angry and certainly not as an excuse to feed and nurture such anger. 
but he quickly follows up this declarative with a clarifying directive. But do not sin. This is kind of Paul's way of saying, do not let your anger get the best of you. When you are angry, do not sin. Addressing the do's and don'ts of anger, both the healthy and unhealthy expositions of anger. Anger is a complex emotion. Anger is often the precursor emotion that can eventually lead to rage, wrath, even evil. We are all painfully aware of the outcomes anger has produced in our society. We've witnessed anger take an unhealthy and deadly turn in the streets of the Ukraine or in the homes of Afghani families fleeing for safety. We've read headline after headline about the various people taking the lives of innocent, of innocent men and women during a rage-filled mass shooting. We get angry just thinking about anger. But guess what? We're angry people struggling with the do's and don'ts of this complex emotion in an even more complex world. While anger can be the springboard for rage, at the same time, anger can be a force for good. More often than not, anger is a vehicle for justice, a vessel for reconciliation. And if the Pauline letters teach us anything, it is that Paul is a feeler. He likes to really sit with his emotions a bit. He uses the art of letter writing as a cathartic and teachable means for himself and his communities. Paul goes on to say, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, this is a bit of a shift from someone who just gave us this be angry or else type of delivery. But here he is instructing us to work through the challenges of anger. Another do. Do take time to listen. Do work at finding solutions. Do the hard work. Do God's will. And whatever you do, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Our society often feels inclined to gloss over anger, but simply avoiding it or counteracting someone's anger with a passive statement such as, be kind, or if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all, that's equally destructive. We may not be able to avoid anger, but surely there are times when anger is not only understandable, but appropriate. This text reminds us that suppressed anger is not a good thing for a person. And at the same time, uncontrolled anger is not helpful either. At other times, our anger is simply our last desperate attempt to defend ourselves against the new world that God is calling forth and against God's servants who are urging us into the new kingdom. 
We are called to speak the truth, but not to let whatever anger we experience linger and fester. And that's because we belong to one another. Each of us, the angry, the happy, the sad, the broken, we belong to one another. Friends, for better or for worse, we are angry people. And there's no need to resist this notion or sense or feel a sense of guilt. Because we forget sometimes, you know, Jesus, God in the flesh, embodied a full range of emotions. He cried, he yelled, he lamented, his blood boiled, he flipped tables. And he got angry. He was human. And God loved him. And even in our anger, God loves us. Because God wants all of us, the anger, the imperfections, the sadness, all of it. God just doesn't send us to our room to calm down. He comforts us. God comforts us in our anger and leads us to a new way of living. We are angry people, but above all, we are followers of Christ, doers of justice, loving kindness, and God wants all of us. In his closing sentences, Paul concludes with one final command to be imitators of God. Imitating God and loving as Christ did are the highest of standards. This is no easy task that Paul cast. These commands may seem like ambitious challenges for us, but they also remind us of the amazing possibilities that can occur through the reconciliation and recreation with Christ the very dwelling place of God. So what does it mean to imitate God for us? Sometimes it looks like comforting a grieving neighbor or addressing conflict at work or in your household. Sometimes it looks like advocating for the most vulnerable, perhaps on the floor of the General Assembly or in the streets of the city of Richmond. Perhaps it looks like resisting the urge to suppress someone's anger. Perhaps it looks like listening to a voice that feels unheard. Or maybe it looks like an 18th century African-American spiritual. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart, in my heart, in our hearts. Lord, we want to be like Jesus in our hearts. Let us pray. Oh God, we come to you today knowing all too well that we are not always honest, that we don't always address our anger 
but we pray that by your grace, we can imitate you, anger and all. Show us the way, O God. Lead us in our anger, our reconciliation, and your path to righteousness. Amen.